Hello, this is Jennifer Wolf Horsch, Executive Director of the IAIABC. You're listening to our podcast, Accidentally, where we discuss issues and events impacting workers' compensation. During Accidentally, I ask thought-provoking questions, raise awareness of emerging issues, and offer insights on workers' compensation. My hope is to make you think about workers' comp in a different way. You can listen or download our podcast each month at iaiabc.org slash podcast. Or even better, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. At the turn of the 20th century, amidst the repetitive grinding, clacking, and grating of heavy machinery, countless men spent their days building American progress and prosperity. They came home with oil and dirt on their hands and muscles weary from pulling, pushing, and cranking. Life for these men wasn't easy, but industrial work offered a measure of security for themselves and their families. Industrial work was steady work and steady wages. But that security, it could change in an instant. A split-second delay or a distraction could result in a crushed arm or leg, which was oftentimes then amputated. That injured worker's life and that of his family was forever changed. He was responsible for paying for medical treatment out of pocket, and it was unlikely that he'd ever return to the factory. He had little recourse. He might get a voluntary employer contribution. The other alternative was to sue for negligence. The chances of him prevailing in court were not on the side of the worker. Money, time, and legal knowledge, those were on the side of the bosses. Tort suits might end with a settlement or a jury ward, but too often they left the injured worker with nothing more than bills. Bills for the attorney. These cases were costly for owners, too. They created worker ill will, and they added cost and uncertainty to the business. Workers' compensation, it offered an alternative. Workers were guaranteed medical treatment and lost wages, and employers did not have to worry about a large jury award. One of the central tenets of workers' compensation systems was that the program was designed to be self-executing. Once a worker was injured, they were able to receive medical treatment and lost wages as defined by the state's laws. In the best cases, those workers would physically heal and then go back to work. In others, workers would receive a settlement or a modest ongoing wage contribution. Self-execution, conceptually, is an appealing ideal. Once a compensable injury occurs, treatment and benefits are paid in a process that's straightforward and easy to navigate. Self-execution is cost-effective and administratively simple. Unfortunately, real life gets in the way. Real life does not always favor self-execution. Should an employer be liable for an injury that happens 
when there are no witnesses and maybe there's a confusing story of what happened? Should an injured worker be denied medical treatment if the insurance company denies a medical procedure, one that's pretty expensive, which is more costly than continuing the prescription for pain pills? Another central tenet of the workers' compensation system is that it provides a sufficient remedy in exchange for being the only or exclusive remedy. In satisfying this requirement, both employers and injured workers need access to a system to settle disputes. Like so many things in workers' compensation, there is tension and the need for balance between self-execution and dispute resolution. Each state has had to design a dispute process that is fair but simpler than the state's traditional or regular judicial process. In general, the dispute resolution process looks like this. An injury happens and a disagreement occurs at some point in the claims process. This results in the aggrieved party filing a dispute with the state agency. The state agency schedules a hearing, generally in front of an administrative law judge. A hearing happens, and then a judge issues the decision, and the dispute is resolved. Unfortunately, each state's process, with its associated timelines, forms, procedures, and requirements, turns those four steps into what looks like the New York City subway map. As an aside, the New York City subway was scientifically rated the most complex metropolitan transportation system in the world. And sometimes I think workers' compensation dispute resolution processes are pretty complicated too. One can make a valid argument that the dispute resolution process brings fairness, equity, and integrity to the system. However, the dispute resolution process also adds complexity and cost. The process also magnifies the agency's focus and resources on disputes instead of other equally important activities. Understanding dispute drivers and evaluating the timeliness, consistency, and ease of a state's dispute resolution process should be a part of the agency's performance plan. That's a big undertaking, and it's not always welcomed by various participants in the system. You can imagine that attorneys, judges, and judicial staff may have some hesitancy or be resistant to that. The IAIBC is currently working on a project with the goal of providing a model that jurisdictions can use to evaluate and analyze their dispute resolution system. The hope is that if we can identify a standardized framework for definitions, events, processes, and issue types, this will further state efforts to measure and compare their dispute resolution systems. Performance evaluation of the dispute resolution process is key to helping regulators understand what causes disputes and identify opportunities to reduce the friction cost associated with them. The first part of the process entailed creating dispute resolution profiles for six states. 
I was able to review the first draft of each of the profiles, and I was surprised at the variation that exists across jurisdictions. And to tell you the truth, I was surprised by my surprise. It was like trying to find subway directions for Paris, Tokyo, and Buenos Aires, all written in prose. There were generally multiple paths to the same destination, in our case resolution, but each of them had their own set of forms, timelines, and procedural rules. Several jurisdictions tracked the time to resolution, but each considered different factors in the calculation. An area where there was considerable difference was in the treatment and the ability of a pro se workers. In plain English, that's an injured worker who's not represented by an attorney, and their ability to navigate the dispute resolution system. If we think back to the principle of self-execution, it might be desirable for the dispute resolution process to be such that it allows an injured worker to understand and move through a system with relative ease, unaided. On the other hand, a process that engages attorneys might be more equitable and result in better outcomes for injured workers. There's no one-size-fits-all dispute resolution model. However, fostering greater understanding of the processes and experiences of other jurisdictions can help us look more critically at our own. You can hear about what was learned from the development of the state profiles at our upcoming IAIABC 104th convention. During this session, Understanding Workers' Compensation Disputes, How Should We Measure Performance, the presenters will explore common and unique, there were more unique than common, practices in providing workers' compensation dispute resolution services. Of particular interest will be the examination of the gap between high-performing and low-performing outcomes on dispute metrics, including the speed to hearing, the speed to decision, and the percentage of decisions appealed. Follow-up work after the convention will focus on concepts and models that can be applied across jurisdictions to measure and enhance performance. In the end, it's all about balance. Balancing the needs and demands of your jurisdiction's stakeholders, balancing self-execution with dispute resolution, understanding, analyzing, and measuring different aspects of the system, including the dispute resolution process, ultimately will strengthen the core and result in better balance in the workers' compensation system. Thank you for listening to Accidentally, the IAIABC's podcast on workers' compensation issues. You can find previous podcasts on iaiabc.org slash podcasts or subscribe to us on iTunes. Cheers, Jennifer.